Hello, my name is Monty Church, and welcome again to another episode of Native New Day. Today we find ourselves in northern Montana, the big sky country. I'm here on the ranch of a good friend who's going to show us to a place that is so memorable to Native America. Our study today finds us at the east end of Montana's Great Bear Paw Mountains, which are located less than 50 miles south of the Canadian border. It was here on the first few days of October 1877 that American history tells us that the last official government Indian war was fought against native resistance to ancestral land takeover. Here, the respect for our native lands and our freedom as a people were brought to a bitter end. It's here that the heroic efforts of the great Chief Joseph became known to the world. Joseph was a God-fearing man who truly cared for his people and strove to uphold the liberties of his Nez Perce nation. What Joseph is most remembered for was his wise response toward an overwhelming power which sought to destroy him and his people. He felt that surrender in this life sometimes is our only means of survival. What happened in this place brings us to the theme of our study today, which I've entitled, I Will Fight No More Forever. It's my hope today that I can point out a very important spiritual lesson that we can all learn from this sad, sad story. The Civil War had just ended, and the government had opened up the great Oregon Territory to white settlers. To make property available, General Oliver Howard was sent to Oregon to take control of Indian-occupied lands through treaties or, if necessary, by force. Chief Joseph and his people were terribly grieved in having to agree to turn over their beautiful Walloa Valley land of Northeast Oregon simply to prevent the possibility of military pressures. Unfortunately, the killing of four white men and a little later seven others, all who were well known for their terrible atrocities toward the Nez Perce, took place. These killings precipitated a government eviction order. Resistance to this would mean removal by force. In hopes to avoid bloodshed, the Nez Perce leaders met the first invasion of the U.S. Army with the white flag of truce. However, General Howard's army refused to acknowledge their peaceful gesture and open fire on the Nez Perce people. It triggered an incredible 1,800-mile flight for Canada by 700 of the native people, which in turn captured the imagination of the world. In constant fear, they fled from their pursuing enemies. The Nez Perce relentlessly traveled through rugged mountains and harsh weather country for 105 days. Feeling they would reach Canada safely, Chief Joseph and his people stopped for needed rest along Snake Creek, which is less than 50 miles from the border. They didn't realize that over 500 military troops, along with Sioux guides, had been dispatched from the southeast and were rapidly traveling throughout long days to intercept them. On the early morning of September 29, 
the Nez Perce people found that they were surrounded from every direction but the north, under the command of U.S. General Nelson Miles. Though Miles attacked with almost total surprise, with a mounted command of superior numbers, his first two assaults were met with disaster. A whole regiment of soldiers were almost wiped out as Inez Pierce held their own. These counterattacks gave an opportunity for almost a third of the Nez Pierce people to escape north toward Canada. Though Chief Joseph and his people won the first battle advances that day, by evening they realized that they had lost the war. That evening, after all the gunfire had stopped, Chief Joseph took inventory and he saw that continual resistance would only mean death to the women and children and the elderly. On the second day, a truce was arranged by Chief Joseph through military Indian scouts after General Miles had asked to quit the fighting. It was then that Chief Joseph agreed to meet with the Army commanders in formal surrender. Accompanied by five of his warriors, walking slowly alongside the horse he rode, Joseph met with General Miles and Oliver Howard. Life looked hopeless. Now the Nez Perce people's fears of being continually pursued changed to a more horrible fear what their future would be like in the hands of the white man. They knew their chances of ever returning to their cherished homeland were less than possible, and being forced to live and die in squalor in the confines of a wasteland reservation was probable. These fears blocked their minds of any kind of meaningful hope. The freedoms they once knew were gone, as long as they were under the controlling, greedy domination of other human beings. It was here that Chief Joseph offered his carbine to Miles, and then he uttered those famous words, Hear me, my chiefs. My heart is tired, is sick and sad. Where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever. There's a great parallel lesson here, and that is, as long as we're under the dominion of any other power other than that of a loving God, we will constantly live in fear and will never have a future. Only God can give that. Having freedom from fear is the most liberating thing that can happen in our lives, simply because fear paralyzes our lives, keeping us from becoming all that we are meant to be. Dealing with fears is especially true in the minds of many when it comes to spiritual things. Some fear that we may have to give up too many enjoyments to become a Christian. Then there are others who are fearful of the judgment or the last day events like the seven last plagues or the battle of Armageddon. Many fear a burning hell that some teach God uses to punish sinners. But without a doubt, the biggest fear that plagues most of all of us is that we're not good enough and just too weak and too bad to ever be saved. The Book of Heaven tells us that the biggest reason for this is that the devil works feverishly 25 hours a day trying to instill 
the constant fear into our hearts that because of our sinfulness, we aren't of any value to our Creator. But don't believe it. God is not that way. The enemy may even work through other people, trying to instill the idea that you are so bad that it's impossible for God to love you, let alone save you. This is Satan's greatest tool that he uses to discourage us. The Book of Heaven puts it this way, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the accuser of our brothers works constantly, day and night, accusing us before our God. As a pastor, many times in the middle of the night I've received phone calls from people with tired minds who are worried over past sins that they've committed. They've asked for forgiveness time and time again, but they still feel like they have no hope of salvation as a result of these things. This kind of guilt is demon instigated. It's not the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to see our sinfulness only. He doesn't condemn us for it. Condemnation is of the devil. The truth is that the Lord is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Christ and always lives to make intercession for them. The key to the study is found in these words, for I love you with an everlasting love. And the more truth you learn about me, the more this truth will set you free. You see, we mean everything to God, so much so that he was willing to put everything on the line even his own life for each of us, even if you were the only sinner who ever lived. I'd like to introduce to you a good friend of mine by the name of Gail. She grew up just a few miles from here. You'll be moved by her story. Hello, my name is Gail Earl, and I'm from the Fort Belknap Indian Reservation in North Central Montana. I grew up pretty much impoverished and around alcohol and Later on in my life, drugs eventually came into my life. Um, a lot of things spiraled out of control. I'd be, I, I was a very angry individual at, at one point in time in my life. I ended up being so violent that it almost put me in prison, and that's when I came to the Lord. I um, woke up in jail. I had a hangover, I had beaten one of my sisters, and from then on I, I decided, no, this, this, this can't be a part of my life anymore. I made a promise that morning I woke up that the person that came into that jail was not walking out. Right then and there in that jail cell I accepted God. From then, from then forward, I, I've changed a lot of my lifestyle. Alcohol is not in my life. It's around me, but not in my life. Drugs, no more, no more, no more drugs. Um, it, that too is around me, but not in me. Uh, everything is for the Lord. 
Another breaking point that really, really made me realize that I needed the Lord more than anything in my life was there's this really big fair. It's a great big huge Indian celebration where there's rodeos, racing, um, dancing competition. My daughter and a bunch of her friends got in her car and headed down to go to this crow fair and about 10 miles on this side of Grass Range, she had a head-on collision with, a, with a, a, a service truck that was working on the, um, roads. And she was killed in it. And she left three little boys behind. And I knew then and there that I, I, I could never turn back and go back to the lifestyle I, I once had. I knew if I was to ever to survive any of this, I'd have to surrender all to God. I, I, I couldn't turn back then. I had, I had to start correcting things in my life. The only way I could do that was with God. I've had three family members that died. I mean, three immediate family members that died over alcohol and it was senseless. They didn't need to go. My father got, got his head bashed in by by a, a drunken kid with a baseball bat. He died two years later from the injuries. I had two sisters. I sat there. I prayed with both of them before they took their last breath. And I, I, I just have faith that God heard me pray. And I knew he let them be conscious enough to hear what the prayers were, was for their souls not to be lost. And I know I, I know what I have to do. I've got four others, family members, that are going to die in the same way. I've got to be there right down to the, their last breath so they can pray. They can know that somebody else is with us besides just the people in the room. I need, I need to keep going. I need to sow seeds. I need, I need my family to come with me. I promised, I, I, I promised all of them, I'm not leaving without them. They're coming to heaven with me. I'll never let go of them. <sighs> I mean, there, there's no comfort in a bottle. A bottle will, will kill you. That, that drug will kill you. Even food will kill you. If that's what you're throwing yourself to, I mean, whatever you throw yourself to, it's gonna kill you and it's gonna doom you. I mean, there's more joy in surrendering. Uh, there, there, could never, a, a drink could never comfort me. It never has. It's always created more trouble for me. It's still attacking me. It always will attack me until I, I just can't let him win. I, I got to let God control this. If there's one thing I could say to my brothers and sisters is that if you surrender all to God, you won't regret it. It'll be a wonderful experience. You'll find peace. You'll find comfort. You'll find love. People just don't understand the joys and all the things that you discover within your own self by just letting Jesus into your home, into your heart.
I'm wearing a lot of crowns of thorns and I know I'm not going to wear them in the next life. There's happiness there. I'll always look forward to that day. It'll be a happy golden day. Gail's experience can be your experience too. You see, when we understand how much God loves us and what He's willing to give us, we'll experience a true freedom which this world can never offer. That God has only our best interest at heart is really hard to understand by many of us, especially for those that all they've ever experienced is being taken advantage of by greedy, self-centered people corrupted by power. This is where the story of Chief Joseph's surrender is different than when we surrender to Jesus. Though the Nez Perce lives were spared, the government took away all the freedoms they knew. With Jesus, however, all true freedoms and a glorious future is given to us. Again, when we know the truth about God, the truth will make us free. But you may ask, how do I come to the place where I appreciate Jesus' gifts so much that I willingly surrender my life to Him? I mean completely, to where you are allowing the Lord to carry out His will in your life instead of your own. Friends, this comes by daily surrendering your life to Christ and choosing His leading. When our hearts and minds see only God's goodness, this goodness leads us to repentance and a natural desire to open up to God's leading. When we begin to experience God helping us through our problems, we quickly learn to surrender every attempt of relying on our own strength to fight life's battles. Hank is another brother who has learned of what can happen when you give up on your own power and allow the Lord to take over. My name is Hank McDougall. I'm from the Okanagan tribe in Canada. I'm from the West Bank First Nation uh, Reservation. And I was born in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. And at a young age, I started drinking. And it's been a pretty much downhill spiral from then on. And I drank to overcome fear and I got in a lot of trouble. I was sent to prison uh, six times and, and I continue to drink and um, um, I had lost friends. I um, lost family. I, I drank and drank until I got sick and I've been um, in the hospital many, many times. At a young age, I was working for a, a man in Oroville, Washington, and uh, he would talk to me a lot, and everything made sense. Deep, deep in the back of my mind, even though it made sense, I continued to uh, drink and Just, you know, knowing that God is with me. But uh, there came a time when I didn't want to take it for granted anymore. 
the, the last time I was in the hospital, I was, uh, I was bleeding inside, bleeding out of my mouth, uh, out of my ears. I was bleeding down below. And um, I was, it never, I never started bleeding through my eyes. And uh, my liver was hurting and it could have busted. And I, I, the fear hit me again that I did not want to die. And I, I just started praying. I threw up my hands and said, well, you know, there comes a time where I have to draw the line. And, and get this over with and, you know, make one last, one last um, attempt. And I did. And it was from that day on in September 28th, 2009, I, I asked God to take everything away from all of the poison, all of the alcohol, and he has. Since then, I've never uh, drank since. It's uh, been 21 months now, almost two years, and I have no desire. I have no more fear. I don't have to, you know, wake up wondering where or what I've done. Um, I got a clear mind got a beautiful wife and who loves me and I love her and and I wouldn't trade my God in for all all the everything in this world and now that God is in my heart I don't have to fight and I won't and I will fight no more forever and let God do the fighting for me. Whenever the devil gets down on us and makes us depressed over our mistakes and weaknesses, we need to turn to Jesus to remind our hearts of what he's done for us and how much he loves us in order to forgive our sins. The Book of Heaven puts it this way, those whom Satan accuses overcome him by their faith in the blood of the Lamb. It's so important that we take out time every day to study and pray, and every week, to remind our tired and our forgetful minds of how much God loves us, and the great unconditional value that He puts on each of us. As we grow in Christ, we will continually be reminded that our strength is no match against the powers of darkness that continually pursue us. Victory in this life only comes through constant surrender to God's loving care and power. Like in Hank's story, giving up the fight of trying to solve life's problems on our own and putting them into God's hands to take care of is what we must do. The bottom line in knowing how to deal with fears is summarized in this way in the Book of Heaven. 
If we have known and believe in the love God has for us, we find that there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. Because God first loved us, we love Him, and because of His love, we can have boldness in the day of judgment. My friends, as we come to the end of these Native New Day episodes, it's my prayer that if there's anything that we've gotten across clearly, it's this. We need to learn not to fight anymore forever, but let God do it for us. We have a God who deeply loves each one of us and has done everything and given up everything he had to earn the right to help us through this life and to save us eternally. The only thing that God asks us to do is to freely accept what he's done for us and to choose daily, hour by hour, to let him lead our lives. Really, friends, it's as simple as that. I wish to thank you so much for allowing me to study with you on these great themes of God's love and plans for our lives. I've been so blessed in doing so. And it's my hope that you've been blessed too. In closing, may the good Lord take away every fear from your life. And may you always know that you are his child. And until we meet again, let only the good spirit guide you.